Hi, welcome to the Proterra Connect podcast. I'm your host, Balit Siraj. In today's episode, we're joined by Fatima de Gloria. Fatima is the Vice President Sustainability for the Air France KLM Group. With a deep passion for driving positive change in the world, we sat down to talk about her story, where she comes from, and the impact she's looking to make in her career and personal life. Fatima, thanks for joining us. Hi, Fatima. Um, thanks a lot for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Valid. Fatima also happens to be my sister's name, so that's not one I'm going to forget. <laughs> um, so how I always like to start this podcast is um, kind of this one question which fundamentally um, haunts us our entire life. Um, I saw on your profile you wrote, uh, you have a deep passion for driving positive change in the world. Mm-hmm. And I want to relate that with the question of asking you, who is Fatima? Who is Fatima? Wow, deep question. I would say I'm a typical migrant child. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents came to the Netherlands in the 60s. And I would say like any migrant child, you learn to work hard. You learn that an eight is not a nine and a nine is not a 10. Uh, so you always strive to do better. And you're always observing everything from two sides because you're part of uh, the country where you were born. In my case, I was already born in Amsterdam. And um, you also take the culture that comes from your parents and your home, uh, your roots, where your roots come from. So you're always a little bit in between two, uh, two places. Um, apart from that, I would say... I was caught by the power of imagination quite early on. My first discovery, uh, and I was quite young when that happened, was the library. Mm. That was the most amazing thing. And I remember one day I was standing in this library, I was maybe nine years old, and I was completely frustrated because I realized there was no way that I was ever going to be able to read all the books in the library. (laughs) (laughs) And... Reading books, I I was reading like one book a day. Wow. Throughout. How old were you at this point? um, I was nine, maybe. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So also in class, it was not easy, uh, my primary school, because I would finish assignments early just because I wanted to be reading that really big, grim, you know, the, the, the fairy tales. I was always reading, 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 and I just did this almost until my 1820th. And then, of course, it became a little bit more complicated with everything else going in, going on in my life. But, yeah, that's, uh, that really opened a world of everything. Everything mm-hmm. is possible in books. Yeah. And, of course, later, uh, that was expanded with other types of media. Uh, together with my brother, we were big fans of Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> uh, not Star Wars, Star Trek, because of that whole dimension of um, science technologies of the future, which we are experiencing today. So there are still people who hear me talk with passion about uh, Star Trek who say, oh, I really need to start looking at it. (laughs) But I would say the power of imagination, that is um, uh, what defines me. And at the same time, uh, uh, a certain feeling of duty. Mm Uh, duty to do good, a duty to take care of your environment. 
So at school, everyone else was on the playground and I was collecting uh, paper, you know, the paper for recycling. Yeah. Uh, and that also started at a very early, uh, very early age. So I guess, yeah, that's, uh, that, that really defines me together with many more, I would say, passions that I have. Music, dancing, traveling, uh, cooking, eating, you know. Yeah. We could go on. I... I I also inherited a little bit of creativity from my mom. The difficulty, of course, is when you have so many things that you like, that it's very hard to make a choice. Yeah, true. To say, for instance, what am I going to do later? Because I like so many different things. Yeah, very interesting. So tell, uh, let's, uh, let's elaborate a little bit more on your childhood. Tell me what it was like growing up. Um, where did you grow up? You said you have a multicultural background. Um, I also saw you speak seven languages. I do. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. How did that come about? So my parents are from Portugal. Okay. And my mom is from the south, uh, the Algarve, where lots of the tourists go. My dad is from the north, and they generally don't like each other. Mm. Like many times, north-south. Uh, but somehow they met each other in Lisbon and they uh, they came here. So the good thing about uh, a Portuguese background, it has a Roman uh, base. Mm -hmm. So from Portuguese, it was actually quite easy to learn French, Spanish, Italian. Whereas here, of course, I was speaking Dutch. And yeah. from Dutch, well, everyone speaks English. And then on top of that, from Dutch, you are very close to German. Mm -hmm. So that explains the seven languages. Um it also um, yeah, is, is a different culture in the sense that um, my parents did not have high education, mm -hmm. uh, especially uh, on my father's side. Uh, he really came from an area that did not have light at the time, no water that was streaming. And now here you are in a society that yeah. is completely modern and he did not understand anything about it. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was kind of strict. Until I was 18, I was told you don't go anywhere. You're not allowed to go to parties unless you're home at nine. Mm -hmm. That's when the party started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you had to manage. Yeah. yeah, you had to manage between those cultures. Also, um, my dad was working at the platform at KLM. Mm -hmm. My mom was uh, in the cleaning business. I would go and help her yeah. because... The more I could help her after school, the more I could come home uh, and my mom would be there to make dinner for us. So it was also good motivation. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that gives you a little bit of the context. The good news was when I reached 18, my dad said, okay, my job is done. Now you can go and discover the world. Yeah. So when it was time for you to discover the world, um, I want to connect that from two angles. First question is, what did 10-year-old Fatma think that she was going to do? I had no clue. No clue. No clue. It was it was actually a bit of an uh, well, anxiety is maybe a big word, mm -hmm. but everyone around me knew. Yeah. I am going to be a doctor. I am going to be a fireman. I'm going to be. You know, everyone had yeah. this very clear view of what they wanted to do, and um, in my case, believe it or not, when I finished my primary school, uh, I was told I should go in Dutch, it's called Huishoudschool. Okay. It's like housekeeping school. Okay. Um, and I looked at my teacher and I said, why? Why you will be with your own kind of people? It's still happening, I can tell you. Mm. 
by the way, not only for being a foreigner, but it's from being from a, so, a certain social class. Because yeah. I know that there are uh, people in the Netherlands who got exactly the same uh, message. And one of the more famous one actually is Ariane Inde, mm-hmm. uh, who is extremely successful. But she was told the same thing. Yeah. So you should go to housekeeping uh, school to be with your own kind of people. And I said, well, I don't think so. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know that my brain is too much looking for stimulation. I want to do something. I have no clue what yet, but I want to do more. So I was in a Catholic primary school Mm -hmm. and there was this board that had all of the different schools uh, that you could go to after finishing sixth class. And I just looked which one is the highest one that is also Catholic. And it was Fons Vite uh, Gymnasium. Mm And I went there, finished in six years, all uh, good figures, doing Latin, doing all kinds wow. of stuff, and no problem whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and I finished school still not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. So when the time came, for example, you said you were 18 and your father said, now I'm done, go ahead. What was the next step? What did you do? So this was the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had a couple of crises since, but the 80s were a little bit the same. Nothing you would do, nothing you would study would give you a job. There was huge numbers of unemployment. Yeah. Everyone was doing European studies for some reason. I don't know uh, why, but it was more like, well, if you don't know what to do, you go do European studies. And I thought, well, I'm not sure that that's going to uh, bring me anywhere. Um So I actually uh, said, I'm going to take some time to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I did start learning uh, to study English um, because, yeah, I have this passion for reading. I have this passion for languages and I really love the language. And actually, I learned to speak in a real proper Cambridge uh, proficiency way. I got my degree in that and everything. Uh, but I had to adapt later on to speak international because mm-hmm. people had no idea uh, if I was speaking proper English. Uh, people were, you know, the rathers and yeah. <laughs> they didn't have no idea what is she saying. Um, that allowed me to uh, start working while studying at the same time because mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, let's at least have a job because yeah. I also didn't want to put my parents in a place where they had to pay uh, for mm-hmm. a study that in the end would not give me a job. So let me just start working and then I'll figure it out. And uh, I was in between jobs when it was Christmas and I asked my dad, what's the name and the address of your HR department? Let me send them a letter at, at least. KLM. Yeah, let me just, you know, see what happens. I can always try. I, yeah. you know, I'll do a bit of exercise. So I sent them a letter and their reaction was, well, no vacancies, we'll we'll keep you on file. Okay. So I was about to take a job in Fenlo with a Japanese company when this letter arrives from KLM saying, hey, hi, are you still available? We would like to talk to you. Wow. (laughs) So I went on the interview, long story short, I was hired, can you please start next week? And... uh, my mom was extremely happy because she was not happy to see me go to Fenlo. Uh, I said, oh, yes, please. Can you please, please, you know, just stay here, go work with KLM. And of course, yeah, big dream. My dad was already working uh, in it. I had already been flying since I was six months old. Yeah. So that was a yeah, big, big dream. And that is how I started uh, in a more administrative environment. Mm-hmm. And what was the role? You were product manager? 
so I started indeed not first as a traffic manager okay. in a I was so lucky in an advertising and sales promotion uh, yeah. environment. So I was taking care of all the processes, making sure that all the documents were taken okay. care of. And uh, there was a lot of contact with the outside world. So me being able to speak uh, all these languages was extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. And once I started seeing, hey, advertising and sales promotion, that's also a language. It's communication, it's psychology in a way. I really like this. This yeah. is extremely interesting. And it all goes back to the power of imagination because it's also all about telling stories, communication. Yeah. You're telling a story. A brand is telling a story. And this is when I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to start doing all these SRM, Nima A, Nima B, advertising. I will learn everything I can about communications. Mm -hmm. And next to that, because I've always been ambitious, like I told you, coming from a migrant family, I um, took a subscription on the Harvard Business Review because I also wanted to understand what all the big bosses were talking about. So I just started doing, yeah, learning on the job. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and then you eventually worked your way up more towards a branding, communication, marketing type of role. And you mentioned now as well that you were seeing a lot of this advertising content and this branding content, and it was visually, um, let's say, very interesting for you. It was. Tell me about that transition going towards this branding communication, which I think was a large part of your career. And I want to also connect that with your transition towards sustainability eventually, mm. because how does that happen um, from there? So maybe uh, walk me through that journey at KLM. I know Sky how did that happen? a little bit in the middle. Yeah, tell me how did that happen? <laughs> Oh, how do I tell that in a few uh, in a few minutes? Let's see. Um, so I was very fortunate to be part of this department that I was telling you about because we had um, the the let's say the VP of advertising uh, and sales promotion was really a well known uh, let's say advisor in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So he he was really in this top network uh, of communication specialists in uh, in the Netherlands at the time. So I was working very closely with him, and that allowed me the opportunity to learn everything directly from the source. And I think throughout my career, I was very lucky because I always worked with some of the top leaders. Uh, I learned so much from them individually, whether it was the marketing managers I was working with, because I uh, I was able to make myself the secretary of the marketing meeting for uh, three years. Mm -hmm. But also with him, um, at some point I started seeing these brand strategic meetings and I just thought this is fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. So I said, you know, take me along, take me to your agency, let me see how does this go, this whole rebranding thing that you're working on and show me more, share with me, what are your thoughts, why are you doing this, why are you making your choices like this? So I really learned, uh, yeah, from from him. Yeah. And... Um, by chance, at some point, he left the company. He was replaced by, uh, but by that time I was already in a different position, but he was replaced by someone else in the company and mm -hmm. that person uh, got a burnout. Okay. And um, the only person that they felt could take over while looking for someone else was me. So I did it for a year. Yeah. So it took a lot longer than expected. And after a year, our works council said, well, there is a, now a successor, but you've been doing it for a year and you're doing it quite quite well. 
um, we're not so sure that it's fair that, uh, yeah, you would not continue to do this. And I was the one saying, I don't want it. Really? Yeah, I don't want it. Um, I don't think that I have already the maturity of learning everything that I want to learn to be already being pushed into this position. I want to learn more before I do this because I was already promised the job of um, product manager, which is now called CX manager, basically. And I really wanted to learn the operational part of the company. So I had already been exposed to the commercial side of the company, but I wanted to learn the operational part of the company. How does that work? And as a CX manager, you get everywhere. So I went there, uh, again, fantastic uh, moments because Rosa Segers arrived. She came from Unilever, again, working with one of the major experts in uh, marketing strategy, in brand strategy. And at that time, we did the repositioning uh, exercise of KLM together with an agency. And I was sitting front and center. I was responsible for the uh, intercontinental economy class, part of the uh, repositioning, and how are we going to reorganize this entire customer experience. So I did that. And at the end of that, crisis hit mm-hmm. again. I mean, in, in aviation, you know, every seven years, there's a crisis. And crisis hits again, and this time it was really bad. We had to um, reduce marketing by 50%. Wow. So half of the people had to go. And I thought, well... I'm probably not going to be making it. So I was already preparing. How am I going to do it? I have to look for another job. I had already cleaned up my entire computer, my files. Everything was taken care of. And on the day of the talk, everyone was on the same day having the same talk. Are you staying or are you going? Um, My boss says, oh, this is the situation. Your function will no longer exist. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, I was expecting this, but I have some good news because I would be taking over the new department in the new shape and form, but I'm pregnant. Mm. And I'm actually not that excited by the new journey that KLM is going into. So I have decided to leave the company and you're going to take over the new department. Wow. And this was, uh, at that time, a combined department taking uh, the old department that I had been part of. Mm together with, um, let's say, more uh, in-flight entertainment. So that yeah. it was a combination of departments already. Um, there, again, it was fascinating because we had to come through the crisis. So crisis management was a very big uh, part of that. And then came um, the merger with Air France. Mm-hmm. That was interesting because for the first time I saw the benefits of having a bicultural background Mm -hmm. because now I was here understanding my Dutch colleagues that I was used to uh, work with. But all of a sudden I was working with French French colleagues colleagues, with a a much more Southern European approach of, yeah, the way you greet, the way you work together, having lunch, uh, much more, uh, yeah, the social parts. You don't just throw things through the email, you talk Mm -hmm. about it. So very different working cultures. And I felt, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah. This now allowed uh, an opening for the brand of KLM. Mm -hmm. 
And for me, the magic was really becoming the brand manager of KLM. So looking with my counterpart and yeah, you know, just uh, being able, especially after that difficult time and everything that I had learned in all of those different departments and bringing that all together and say, okay, now we're going to build a new story, mm -hmm. a new story for KLM. So that is when, you know, we really refreshed the brand and we, it was a fantastic exercise. And one other thing I learned at that time is um, bringing the collective in because the collective knows so much. Yeah. If, you, if you trust the process, you bring in all the stakeholders and you involve them, they get engaged, they get inspired. Um, and if you ask them, what is the brand today and what should the brand be tomorrow? they know what's in the DNA. Yeah. They can feel it. Yeah. And that has been uh, yeah, a fantastic journey. And that's finally brought me to Sky Team, but yeah. long story. <laughs> so tell me, um, so I want to make an observation first. Um, what I find um, very interesting in your story is, and I want to connect that with the background you come from, um, there is a theme of curiosity and there is a theme of grit and wanting to prove to other people or prove to yourself that you are worthy of more than that person who was told that you should just go where your people are. Yeah, um, And I Definitely. think that was it not for the background you come from and the negative um, comments that you had to go through in the early part of your life, I think... Um, uh, I say this with a lot of confidence, you would not be as successful as you are today. Um, so I want to make this observation because I think these things are really important in the person that we end up becoming later in our lives. Um, the question now being, um, tell me more about that shift towards sustainability because I think this is also important in kind of laying the foundations towards your story, um, which has been really towards branding and uh, communication and this uh, image that you were responsible for building for KLM. And I know we were also talking about uh, Sky Team and you described that very interestingly as a mini United Nations. Um, so tell me how that comes in. Um, did the fact that you work at Sky Team lead to this uh, transition towards sustainability or what was it? Uh, well, first, on your your observation, you're very right. Uh, there is this expression, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. <laughs> um, sustainability was always there. Yeah. It's From the time you were picking up papers. Exactly. School, yeah. It was always there. I just didn't have the opportunity to, to activate it. Yeah. Uh, but any chance I had, I would already, you know, any project, working group, anything I could do on the side, I would always be there. Yeah. While working at Sky Team, which was a job that was taking me all over the world 24-7, I wasn't sleeping, etc. Um, I actually was working at a fair trade shop in my free time. You would think, what free time? <laughs> <laughs> Weekends, evenings, um, yeah. because I wanted already to do something that was not just commercial. And call it purpose, call it, I think you used uh, in our introduction before, significance. Yeah. Um, I wanted to contribute more than just selling more tickets. Mm -hmm. And I, I have this knowledge, I have this background, I have my skills, my experience. And I've been reading about these things my entire life. Yeah. I'm always, anytime, like I said, uh, I love to learn, I love to read, I have this immense curiosity. 
So I read about circularity. I read about uh, what food is going to look like in the future, what health is going to look like in the future. I'm always reading about sustainability. When I was at Sky Team, I actually set up a whole working group, but it was too early. That's mm -hmm. what they always are telling me. Fatima, yeah. you're too early. Uh, we'll <laughs> get to that in a few years, but you're too early. Okay. So it was always there. Yeah. Even when I arrived at the group, the person who hired me for that job, I told her, uh, today this is being managed by the airlines. I can guarantee you there will be a moment that you can no longer leave this only in the hands of the airlines. They're extremely important. Only the airlines can make it happen. Mm -hmm. But the pressure that will come from the outside world, world will become such that you need to activate this at a group level. And by the time that you do that, I want to have that job. Yeah. So... Here I am. Interesting. Um, whenever I think of sustainability, there's this one um, quote that comes to mind, which I think is from the series called Afterlife. And it says, um, a society grows when old men plant trees, the shade of which they will never sit in. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, and I find that very interesting because it's one of those fields which truly is selfless in many ways. Mm -mm -mm. Because... Um, it's very tough to measure sustainability in a tomorrow context. These are things that uh, changes that take place sometimes over years, sometimes over decades, sometimes after we won't even be here. Yep. Tell me, what is sustainability to you? Sustainability is um, um, a world that um, perpetuates without um yeah it's it's about keeping all the resources intact whether they are human mm -hmm. or environmental or animal um again going back to my star trek uh it's 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 a place that um is constantly renewing itself rather than us extracting uh, what we need without thought. Mm -hmm. That's what sustainability is. So again, whether it's extracting, so seeing you as a uh, component of uh, my factory, whether uh, you have a human component and you're just here to deliver your time or to do something because I have an output need. Yeah. So is that the purpose of a company? To mm -hmm. say my purpose is to make money for my shareholders? Or is the purpose of a company to ensure that uh, we are building a society that works for everyone, yeah. where everyone is able to fulfill themselves, to mm -hmm. grow, to work on their passion. And for that, you need a certain, um, yeah, you, you need a, a, a certain level of development to make that happen. Yeah. And that also goes from an environmental point of, uh, of way. If we take, but we don't give back, mm -hmm. and... Uh, I mean, if you're a farmer, you know this. If you only take from the soil, but you don't take back, that soil will deplete. Yeah. I think it's actually the best metaphor for sustainability. Mm -hmm. It's taking and giving back. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what is happiness? Hmm. Interesting question. <laughs> what is happiness? Um... I would say there are different levels of happiness. There mm -hmm. is joy, yeah. 
joy is very much in the moment. Happiness is a longer term feeling. Yeah. It's um, probably con contentment, fulfillment, mm -hmm. uh, surprise. There are yeah. many elements there in happiness. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to give it just one, uh, one word. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's this great quote uh, which says that, um, tries to define happiness, uh, which says that happiness is peace in motion. So happiness is when peace is moving. And peace is happiness at rest. That when happiness stops moving, that is peace. And what we really want in life is peace. Um, the moments where our brain is quiet. The moments when we're sitting at a beach thinking about nothing. Mm. Um, so the reason why I ask you that question is because having gone through um, so many different moments in your life, which I'm sure brought you joy and uh, elatedness and happiness... I'm curious if you've been able to um, figure it out, and you may not have figured it out. Not yet. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, it's a, a work in a progress. Work in progress. Work in progress. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's a good question. No, I would say um, many yeah many elements to that. No, I've not completely figured it out yet. Also because. Um, it's not always easy to yeah. look around and to see, uh, you know, you know, you imagine what the world could be yeah. and we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So of course we're moving. That gives me joy. Mm -hmm. Am I happy about it? Yeah. No. Okay. Um, you work at an organization which is, um, pretty huge, um, serving hundred million plus passengers a year. Um, you have board members, you have uh, teams, you have airline alliances and all these people. And you're working towards this mission of sustainability, which you've defined. Um, tell me, how do you align this vision and purpose with uh, and approach this process of aligning people in your teams and the broader sense of the board members and the other alliances to kind of work together and believe in what you're trying to achieve? Mm. It's not just for sustainability. Yeah. This goes for any topic. Um, what's really important is uh, inspire people. Mm -hmm. um, so this vision of where to go is extremely important. And to make sure that people are heard, that they are part of the process. And you cannot do this alone. It's impossible. And it's not necessary because there are amazing talents yeah. and everyone has their own unique talents mm -hmm. and it's knowing how to use those talents. So of course I'm lucky because I did not start from zero. Uh, our company has been involved with sustainability for 20 years already. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the structures that we needed and a lot of that energy was already there. Yeah. We have sustainability leaders throughout the company. We already have I'll give you one example. Um, the engineers of KLM, uh, they were looking at the way that aircraft were being uh, washed using mm -hmm. thousands of liters of water. Yeah. And they themselves thought, we can do this differently. They came up with a different procedure using pads. And now they use, I think, 50 or 60 liters of water instead of thousands of liters of water. Nobody told them. No. Nobody said, oh, uh, you know, we need to. No, they just came up with their own initiative. 
you are so lucky to be in a company with that type of energy. Yeah. So, of course, in my job, um, I am more facing um, investors, uh, regulators. Uh, so we're now setting up processes that I would say is more of the boring stuff. Mm-hmm also important, but it's much more about structure and uh, how do we report and all of the news regulations or what kind of tools do we need. So th- those are the type of things that I'm looking, uh, yeah. uh, looking at, while also being a spokesperson for, uh, for the company. But the basic structure is people, yeah. people working together. And I really see my job, except for the, you know, the organization part, um, it's about inspiring people yeah where are we going making sure that ambition is clear and what has been the hardest part in all of this over the past decade um the hardest part is uh well in the last decade is in fact that uh we knew something had to happen Mm -hmm. but nobody was doing anything yeah so concretely, we know the technological uh, solutions. We have, of course, fleet renewal. Uh, there are projects going on on how can we change the operational efficiency. But one very important component are sustainable aviation fuels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for that to happen, um, you need to create a new industry. Yep. And we started doing the first test flights 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So for 15 years, we know that there's this solution. Yeah. You just need to scale it up. Yeah. And it was not happening. No. And it was not happening because there were other crises and there were other priorities. And, oh, now we have the Lehman Brothers. And now we have, uh, you know, so there was always another priority. And no yeah. one was saying, yes, it's a priority. It's important. Uh, we have to solve this crisis. But we also need to anticipate what's going to happen 20 or 50 years from now. Yeah. And I come back to my power of imagination. Um, generally, people lack the imagination to to see what is the impact 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. So they thought, well, it's not that important. We can wait. And I think that was the most uh, hard part also for our company because we wanted to move. We could already anticipate that as a, as an airline, we were in the middle of uh, scrutiny. Mm-hmm. People saying, uh, oh, you know, airlines, you're outside of the Paris Agreement. Yeah, there's a very good reason why it's outside of the Paris Agreement, because the Paris Agreement is about national targets. Yeah. And aviation, by the way, together with the maritime sector, are completely international. They mm-hmm. don't fit in the national... Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's not that... Airlines didn't want to move. Airlines uh, wanted a solution, but we did not progress. Yeah. And as long as there are no sustainable aviation fuels, you cannot at least address that part, which means that we are relatively late. Yeah. So now all of a sudden we are in this race and we want to be net zero by 2050. We advanced because first the aviation industry said 2060. So we are advancing. But now all of a sudden, we have to accelerate on this topic. Yeah. So that, that has been one of the most difficult parts. Uh, and even there, we are doing everything we can yeah. to go as quickly as possible. And how do you measure the success of these initiatives that you go ahead with? Um, in the past, like you said, with sustainable aviation fuel, 
Uh, you have a target of reaching net zero by 2050. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of these things in place um, which have not necessarily been uh, pushed as much as they should have in the past. But is there even a point at which you say, yes, we were successful? Or is this maybe an area or an industry or an objective you're trying to reach, which always is just like, we can do better? Well, one of the big decisions we took is that um, we wanted to align with the science-based targets. Yeah. So this has been a very important milestone. We have now been validated, and that means that we have a target for 2030. Mm-hmm. And uh, that also gives external confirmation of yeah. uh, of what we're doing. So that, that you're on the right trajectory. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, really good to notice not just Air France KLM many airlines are doing this now interesting Um, now looking back on your career and what you've achieved um, through your time in this aviation industry um, I want to ask you this uh, double edged uh, question again Um, A what is success to you and B do you think you have been successful Hmm, is the eight a nine, is the nine a ten? Yeah. Uh, if I look at my uh, my backgrounds, yes. I think, I would say my parents are proud yeah. of everything that I have achieved. That's the number one indicator. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tend to uh, always want more. Yeah, of course. Yeah. At the same time, yes, I am extremely grateful yeah. for everything I have achieved, but yeah, I'm never done, Yeah, I would say. Okay, and on that topic then, that you're never done, what is next for you? What is the crazy ambition? What is it that you want to achieve mm. in the next decade? Um, I haven't reached that question yet because I just started this job two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um. I tend to start thinking about that in like year three or four. Yeah, but it can be within your existing role as well. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be another industry or another company. Um, it can be within your own, um, what you're currently doing, but you have crazy ambitions within that maybe. I just want, you know, if if I would say what is the ideal I want to have is that I want more credit for aviation for what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. That would be my, uh, because now uh, we're often seen as the big bad wolf. Yeah, it's the easiest one to pick on. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if, if we would be able to demonstrate, uh, at least for Air France KLM, everything that uh, we are doing, the role we are playing uh, in the aviation sector itself, and it's very much behind the scenes, nobody sees it. Yeah. Um, so if if somehow we would be able to turn that around and get the credit for everything that aviation is doing, that would be my um, yeah. Yeah, that yeah I find a- that very interesting because I had a few people from the logistics industry um, come on the podcast, and I find the logistics industry uh, really as fascinating as the aviation industry because it's one of those things which um, you never think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see these lorries on the highway, and you see the guy the DHL packages. And you, you're in, you're so deeply in it, but you never notice it. But I know that if for a moment these industries, both the aviation and logistics, which aviation, of course, is a part of logistics, if they were to stop, I think the whole world would malfunction in a way. Exactly. Which we saw happen uh, in 2020 as well. Um, 
So you're definitely right. There needs to be a way to figure out this balance between us picking on, um, as always, the the bad guys. And then we jump on the flight and take the next flight. And we're also ordering those things which are being transported from China to us. So um, yeah, very interesting. I'm glad that you're uh, realizing that as well. Yeah, yeah. It took <laughs> If me you while. have any tips, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's do a podcast quickfire round. So I'll say a word and I just want you to say a word or a sentence immediately that comes to mind. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, communication. Psychology. Diversity. Diversity. Having fun. Success. Hard work. Transformation. Exciting. Leadership. Uh, leadership, being humble. Aviation. Adventure, discovering cultures. I cannot do that in one word. <laughs> Aviation, it's uh, humanity's biggest dream and we're doing it. Failure. Learning. People. Many emotions for that one as well. Um, it's a source of joy. Mm -hmm. It's uh, talent. It's uh, working together. It's connection. It's your biggest assets. The world doesn't function without people. It's, yeah. True. A lot. Sustainability. A must. Um, and not as scary as everyone thinks. Yeah. I think there is a lot of fear of sustainability. Sustainability is going to take away everything that I hold dear. Uh, these are people who want to take away my barbecue in the weekends. <laughs> and uh, they don't want me to own my car anymore. And... I'm afraid that this culture of fear has not done us a, a lot of good. Mm -hmm. So use the power of imagination more. Use the positive story more. Sustainability is going to bring us an amazing world. Yeah. It's going to bring us a world. It is going to bring us a world to start with. Yeah. But it's going to be an amazing, interesting world. Yeah. Language. Connection. Branding. Uh, a story. Health. Uh, important and something you have to work for. Mm -hmm. Family. Everything. Podcasts. Funnily enough, uh, surprising enough, more fun than I had expected. <laughs> Great. You're doing a good job. Um, I always ask this uh, question at the end of the podcast, but I think you're the perfect person to ask this question because I'm pretty sure now maybe there's i have a competition for you i had this one guy um kika uh he was the cio of vodafone he said he read 56 books a year and he was very deep into philosophy and all of that um so the question is um what is your recommendation for a book or a article or something interesting that you've come across which can be interesting for our audience. And I know it's going to be a really tough question for someone who reads so much. But what has been maybe oh, one wow. of the books which has left the biggest impact on you in your life? Um, yeah, it's a, an old book. Okay. And I don't remember the title. It was written by Florinda Donner. 
And um, in the book, and I think it was based on a personal experience of someone, she joins an uh, Indian tribe in uh, the midst of uh, the Amazonian jungle. Mm -hmm. The witch's dream? It was not the witcher's dream. She has four books. Uh, the witcher's dream, Shabono. Shabono, that's the one. Shabono. Shabono. Okay. So she goes to uh, this Indian tribe and lives with them a few years. And oh, for real? It's a nonfiction book? I, th I, I don't remember. I, I, okay. Maybe it's in my mind that I made it. Yeah. But it made such an impression on me. Okay. And it made an impression because um, we think in our little world that our rules and our norms that they are the best yeah. and that that they are uh, normal this mm -hmm. word normal huh? this yeah. is normal this behavior is normal and when i read her book she was confronted with a culture where everything was different mm -hmm. and it means that you need to rewire your brain to think what is normal normal yeah. is is a code it's yeah. something that we think we have it's like an unwritten agreement between you and me to say this is normal behavior and this is not normal behavior mm -hmm. and when you realize that there are different ways of thinking about what is normal then all of a sudden there's this huge uh, yeah, area of possibilities yeah. of things that we are not doing today and things that we consider normal today maybe 100 years from now people will look back and and say ah oh, these people were barbarians yeah. they were eating animals <laughs> yeah yeah uh how was that normal yeah and i think that book it really enlightened me yeah it really changed the way that i started looking at my surroundings by the way also being grateful that i was opening my tap and water was coming out of it yeah Water that I could drink. Interesting. Yeah, um, this thing that you mentioned, I forgot what the name of the guy is, but the most famous person who talks on this, uh, on eating meat and animals, um, he talked about uh, the fact that we will, and I'm pretty sure he's right, that 100 years from now, the society is going to look back as us as a society, as the biggest barbarians who were killing animals. <laughs> For the purpose of meat. On industrial level. And I eat meat, eh? so yeah, for, yeah, the, yeah. for the record, yeah. I'm not vegetarian even. Yeah. Uh, I try to reduce, but yeah. I, I, yeah, today I'm not capable yet. Yeah. I hope uh, things will evolve. But yeah, I think norms will change. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, again, it's, um, it's fascinating to, and, and maybe I'll go back to the beginning of our podcast. Um, you know, what, what was the little Fatima? Fatima was in between cultures. Mm -hmm. And that fascination for looking at things from different ways. So looking at it from one angle and one other angle, it opens up your world. Yeah, absolutely. Great. I think that's a great note to end this on. So um, thanks a lot, Fatima. Thank you so much, Raleigh. It was great fun. I can't believe that uh, it went by so fast. Yeah, absolutely. Time flies. <laughs> Pleasure having you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That was Fatma de Gloria, the Vice President of Sustainability at KLM. You're listening to the Portera Connect podcast. I'm Walid Saraj. 